0: This podcast is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook is strengthening security during elections by increasing political ad transparency, blocking fake accounts before they have a chance to do harm, and reducing the spread of false news. Learn more at facebook.com slash From Washington, this is Political
1: Theater, Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Bomb threats? Body slams? Golf spikes to the face? Political rhetoric is really ramping up. But do voters care? Here to discuss are Roll call Simone Pathé and Inside Elections' Nathan Gonzalez. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, the, you know, the, the news uh, that, that we're sort of seeing Uh, you know, sort of abruptly was the discovery of homemade bombs targeting President Obama, former President Obama, targeting CNN, targeting Debbie Wasserman Schultz. These are all sort of high profile Democrats uh, and they're um, or or seen as allies of Democrats, as the president accuses CNN of. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, we've you you all have been out on the road. You know, you've been reporting uh, on on this midterm as we get closer to it. I mean the rhetoric does seem pretty high, amped up from our perspective in Washington, but what is it like out in, you know, out in out in the field? So when you were in New Jersey reporting on Leonard Lance's race up there, a Republican from New Jersey in your home district, what was what was your sense talking to voters whether are they tuning in like we are to this sort of level of rhetoric or are they do they have their own thing going?
2: Um, I think it depends on where you go, first of all. And in a place like New Jersey's 7th District, some of the rhetoric that we're hearing about or that Trump is talking about on the trail, the caravan, for example, immigration, that's not a major concern for these people. You know, it's it's an affluent, well-educated district. They're looking for um, a moderate voice to keep the country on track. They're concerned about health care their taxes is a huge issue in a suburban district like that, and the economy. I think in other places, you're seeing the the national security rhetoric play out a little bit stronger in the suburbs of North Carolina, for example. Republicans think that that is their best message to try to bring back home uh, suburban moms, who we've seen has been drifting to Democrats. So they've been talking about sanctuary cities, they've been talking about illegal aliens trying to enter the country. And even though the attacks that we're seeing today or are mostly targeting Democrats, I think there's a potential, however this plays out, that it could sort of amplify the, um, the law and order message you're hearing from Republicans and, and the fear that there's just so much going on and like you need to vote for a Republican to keep us safe. I think you're going to try, they're going to try to make that the message.
1: So, Nathan, this this brings up a good question that the – I mean this this election has been predominantly focused on the suburbs and whether – and how people in suburbs, particularly well-educated, well-off suburbs, uh, whether they may – get behind Democrats disproportionately. And law and order has has been this winning sort of topic in the suburbs for a long time. Is that is that sort of the dynamic that you're seeing as as you look at, you know, the early voting and polls and and what candidates are saying? There's a lot. You asked about
0: 20 questions within one question. It was one, <laughs> one question with 27 parts. Um, <laughs> where do we go? Yeah, I mean, it's clear the Republicans and the, the president and Republican candidates have a problem in the suburbs. I mean, you know, amidst all the some of the recent talk about Republicans gaining some traction. I mean, they're still struggling in uh, in suburban you know in Northern Virginia in the suburbs of Denver and Orange County, California. Uh, there it's a real problem. The president's popularity is low there, and I think they're taking it out on Republican candidates. Now, can the law and order message um, can it help mitigate some of that? I mean, I think we have to leave ourselves open to the possibility, but the president, still cast such a huge shadow over all of this that I don't think he will be pushed aside or the urgency with which some voters are voting because of him won't necessarily be pushed aside. I think immediately. And, you know, when it comes to these, uh, these, the, the bomb threats that, that we're seeing, I, I just, I kind of want to wait to see how it plays out a little bit. I mean, we're in the middle. I, I think we said this during the Kavanaugh hearings, that one of the worst times I think to evaluate the political fallout of a situation is either right when you're when you're in it or immediately afterward. Like let's let let's see what happens, let's see who sent you know, let's see how it all plays out and then we can I think evaluate the the political consequences.
1: We're also dealing with Several states that are already voting, right, Simone? I mean, I mean, the, most states have some sort of early voting mm-hmm. uh, process or absentee uh, sort of situation, and then in places like Nevada and Texas, uh, m- most recently, we're seeing these huge surges in early voting. So for some people, the the, the elections. This, it's already it's over, over. <laughs> yeah <laughs> no
2: that's a great point and to nathan's point you know however this plays out and it could take a couple weeks for us to figure out who's behind these threats and then who the ultimate targets are by the time we find that out and be, by the time that gets communicated to the public a lot of these people might have already cast their ballot or they might have just already made up their mind mm-hmm. you know it, it could be too late whichever way this cuts politically for ad makers to turn these into cute little sound bites that fit on to our television screens
0: it, We've gotten in a bad habit, and I have a bad habit of talking about election day. We really don't have election day anymore; we have election weeks, right. <laughs> and uh, and that makes it more difficult for any late dynamic or surprise to to have an impact.
1: So an October surprise is not necessarily it it, it, it would need to be almost like a September surprise to have the full <laughs> yeah, effect for sure. for all uh, effect on voting. So what one of the questions I have? I, I mean, I I just did you know got back from traveled to my own home state recently to Arizona. This is the uh, site of a couple of competitive house races and a very competitive Senate race. It's got a governor's race that's not that competitive, but still people are engaged. And one thing that struck me is that even on, I mean, you know, there's always some ads on television and, and so forth, but this didn't seem to be like the, the way that we view politics here in Washington doesn't seem to be the way it's viewed, like at least from what I saw, the people I interacted with in in Arizona. Is that similar to what you saw when you were back home, uh, Simone, in New Jersey?
2: Yeah, I'd say, of course, it depends on who you talk to. But overall, people are just a lot less engaged, especially in the day-to-day headlines than we are here, especially when it comes to stuff that the White House is doing, um, the Russia investigation. You know, that is just way too complicated for people to try to follow day in and day out. I think the farther you get from D.C., I think that dissipates even more. You know, I was in North Dakota and Montana; like, those are just not things that people are hearing or talking about. I'd say a little bit more so in a place like you know the Virginia suburbs or the New Jersey suburbs. It's a little bit more on people's radars. Th- oh, go go ahead. Nick. I
0: just, I think a lot of this stems from what you think about the 2016 presidential election. Why you think President Trump won? I think has a lot of impact on what your behavior going forward. I mean, some people think President Trump won just because he was crass and rude and, and said stuff, and that was, I think, part of an appeal to a certain part of the electorate. But there was this was a very complex race. But you see copycats, and everyone seeing need to uh, ramp up the rhetoric or match the rhetoric in a way. And it's just, I mean, our, our former colleague Alex Alex Rorty wrote a story about. Uh, Democrats swearing more. I mean, I think you wrote it last year and how trying to, but I, I just I think it's all, it's, it's all connected to what you think about 2016 and the presidential race.
1: Let's hold that thought for a second, but we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor.
0: Facebook's growing team of experts are dedicated to strengthening security during election season and beyond. One way they're doing this is by using artificial intelligence to proactively block fake accounts before they have a chance to do harm. Learn more about their ongoing efforts at facebook.com slash action plan.
1: We're back. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit, Simone, is that you are covering the Montana Senate race. Uh, last week, the president was there. He was there for uh, Matt Rosendale, who's the Republican candidate for Senate running against John Tester. And among the people there was the state's at-large congressman, Greg Gianforte, a Republican who won a special election last year. Uh, in the run-up to the special election itself, Gianforte uh, assaulted a, uh, a reporter, uh, uh, Ben Jacobs, who works for The Guardian, and uh, is a sort of a fixture of campaign campaign reporting out there. Gianforte uh, body slammed. He, he picked Ben Jacobs up and, and slammed him to the ground, uh, and Gianforte eventually pleaded guilty uh, to, to assault. Uh, he was He's a member of Congress anyway. And then the president praised Gianforte for, you know, body slamming Jacobs at this rally last week. But Greg is smart. And by the way, never wrestle him. You understand that? Never.
0: Any guy that can do a body slam, he's my guy. He's my guy.
1: I shouldn't say this because but there's nothing to be embarrassed about. President came under some criticism for that, uh, but but he you know kind of brushed right past it and, and you know people like even like Steve Scalise, the majority whip in the House, said that oh, he, oh the president must have been been uh, kidding uh, about that. But I mean this this is having sort of a real effect. Uh, I mean like th- th- that kind of rhetoric. I mean what's the what was some of the things that you saw after that after that rally in your reporting.
2: Yeah. So one of the interesting things that Trump talked about before actually praising him was he was recalling in his mind the moment when he found out what Gianforte had done. And he he sort of, you know, in only the way that the Trump can do when he's kind of talking to himself in this rambling fashion during his rallies, he said that at first he feared that that could imperil the seat for Republicans talking about the special election in 2017. And then he thought, wait, no, it's Montana, which is something that I heard a lot. Last year, when I was covering the special election, this happened, as you said, on the eve of the election. A lot of people had already early voted, so that's one factor that you have to take into account. But a lot of people I talked to, and they wouldn't necessarily say this on the record at the time, admitted that this could have helped Gianforte. You know, the fact that he was projecting a very strong, macho um, attack the re- liberal reporter kind of demeanor went over well with some Republicans, maybe some Republicans who didn't really like him to begin with. He's from New Jersey. He was a self-funder, you know, some things that didn't go over so well, go over so well with reporters. Uh, sorry, didn't go over so well with voters, Republican voters, that may have helped drive out the base. This year, um, Gianforte is facing a a pretty significant challenge from a Democrat who's outraised him. She brought in, I think, $2 million in the third quarter, Mm -hmm. uh, an astronomical figure, as we've seen a lot of Democrats post this year. And she released an ad coincidentally the same day that Trump praised Gianforte in which she uses the audio footage of Gianforte beating up uh, Jacobs. Mm -hmm. And so the campaign sort of pushed this out again after Trump uh, praised him on stage. I think it's yet to be and, and seen. said something
1: along the lines of this is not us. This is not Montana. Exactly. Is, yeah. Trying to
2: say that this is not Montana values and then ties it into other things like his support for a Republican health care plan, his support for a Republican tax plan. So using it to amplify sort of their just more general anti-Gianforte message. Um, from what I've seen, she could be the Democrats best chance at sending. A Democrat to the House uh, from Montana in a long time. It hasn't happened since 94, even though they've elected Democrats statewide at other levels. Um, but he still seems to have a lead in the polls. There's been few public polls that have come out of this at large race just because it's a difficult one to poll, but he's still ahead.
1: One thing that you were just saying, Nathan, that the Again, the 2016 election. Here we are. We're almost at the 2018 election. <laughs> we're we're uh, less than two weeks away, and we're still um, come grappling with 2016 and particularly the, the rhetoric and the kind of the coarseness and and whether you know how much that played into it. And one one of the things that I'm I'm wondering about is have we focused too much on just the, the that aspect of it, of of like of the coarseness and how people are responding to, to swearing or to violent uh, threats. I mean, we had the, in the Pennsylvania governor's race, we had the the Republican yeah. candidate say that he was going to you know step on Tom Wolf, who's the incumbent Democratic governor, his, his face you know with his golf spikes and stuff like that. And you know it's just like all, there's all this weird. <laughs> you
0: better <laughs> put on a catcher's mask because yeah. everyone yeah. has a catcher's mask right. Just I mean, they, around these the house.
1: yeah, these are these there's all these weirdness. Are, are, again, are we? focusing too narrowly on, on that at the expense of dissecting m- the broader political trends that have brought us here?
0: Uh, the short answer is probably yes. But you know, uh, the rhetoric, I think, has a an impact and there are co- consequences for that. But, you know, we're talking about um, the valuing non-politicians over politicians. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a cultural divide between rural America and Urban, suburban America—that's growing and angst that goes along with that. I mean, there's there's a lot, but uh, but the rhetoric is what gets reported on the most, I think, because it's uh, it's sexy and, and it's it's something immediate. It's a quote or something that can be viewed on videotape that's on TV, and so that just that just keeps escalating or snowballing, depending on how you want to look at it.
1: What one of the things that struck me about the story that you wrote about Leonard Lance, uh, Simone, is that the the thing that's kind of worked for him for a while is that he that people kind of perceive him as a as a nice guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's even I mean and his opponents would, you know, make the argument that he's maybe too nice and he's he's uh, to the point of of being unrecognizable. Like you could walk <laughs> right past him and you wouldn't know he's a member of congress. Is that enough for Leonard Lance? Does he have enough goodwill backed up by I mean, again, not every not every republican is a dyed in the wool you know, smash mouth or golf (laughs) spike in the face, you know, kind of, you know, supporter uh, of of the president. I mean, like there are plenty of Republicans who, you know, they're just sort of tunnel vision and they're like, I don't necessarily like what Donald Trump is doing right here, but I really like tax cuts and I like the judges he's appointing and I like deregulating, you know, the bureaucracy. I mean, is that working for Lance in this situation? Because it's still kind of a toss up race there.
2: I think it is working for Lance. I just don't know if it's going to be enough for mm-hmm. him this year. It's it's worked up until now, you know, he vastly overperformed Trump in his district in 2016. But in this environment, it just doesn't seem like enough to necessarily save him against an opponent who's talking about the hot button issues that are energizing voters like healthcare. care. Um, you could put Eric Paulson in Minnesota in the same camp. You know, he's someone Minnesota nice. Minnesota nice. Yeah. He's a math major. He's about as far as you could get from Donald Trump in persona. He's a dad of, I think, four girls. You know, Democrats tried to tie him to Trump in 2016. That failed miserably. But this year, he's running against an opponent who's trying to paint him more as just part of the corrupt Washington system, you know, that he takes money from, quote, unquote, special interests. So again, I think that strategy of being a, quote, unquote, nice politician, being civil, being respectable, a lot of voters I talked to um, who are supporting Lance said he's just a gentleman, you know, he's respectful. And that's something that he himself touts about his record. I don't know that that necessarily will carry the day for them this year.
0: What happens in these midterm elections with uh, polarizing presidents is that even incumbents who have received support in the past, the voters start to look through a different lens and they say, you know what, I I like you, Congressman Paulson, I voted for you in the past, but this is about something bigger. The the stakes are higher because of who's in the White House. That's why we saw some well-liked Democrats get thrown out in 2010 because voters said, you know what? It's not about you. It's me. (laughs) Or it's not about you. It's about the president. We got to put some brakes on what's going on up there. And I think we're seeing that again in the House.
2: And Lance should be noted. He voted the way his voters wanted him to vote on what are considered, you know, the Republican Congress's two major legislative accomplishments. He voted against leadership on the tax plan Mm -hmm. and on the health care bill, which didn't make Republicans here happy, but certainly went over better in his district. To Nathan's point, a lot of Democrats who voted against Obamacare also lost because the midterm election was a referendum, not necessarily on them on how they voted, but something bigger.
1: Well, uh, Simone, Nathan, thank you so much for uh, for talking about this. I mean, this is sort of one of those big, um, big news days, and I, I wanted to sort of nod to it and try to contextualize it within the you know how we see the election. I also want to note that. Uh, Nathan, you know, before we go, you have a uh, you know the Inside Elections Film Festival coming up. uh, We're going to start with one movie.
0: We don't do a full yes. We're (laughs) we're we're, we're sponsoring a movie. You're sponsoring a movie, and this is the Sunday before the election. Sunday, November fourth at six p.m. at the Miracle Theater in Southeast Washington D.C. on Barracks Row, Uh, we're going to be showing True Colors with John Cusack and James Spader. John Cusack's running for he ran for Connecticut's fourth district. Uh, but uh, we're we're gonna try. You know, these elections are serious. We're gonna try to have some fun. Right. Uh, the night is gonna be hosted by your very own. Jason Dick of the Political Theater Podcast. That's me. Wait a second, that's me. Yes. <laughs>
1: so come on out. We'll talk. We'll talk about the about the movie a little bit more. But it is. It's one of those rare movies that focuses on a congressional campaign and and has a couple good actors in in uh, John Cusack and James Spader who plays his uh, his antagonist. And uh, the loyalties may throw you for a loop. Anyway, thank you so much, Simone and Nathan, uh, for for talking. And thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you happen to get your podcasts. And please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. Every little bit helps. For more on this and other stories, visit rollcall.com or find us on Twitter at rollcall. And thank you for listening.